love it or hate it, the fact remains, we've been talking about this for the last 15 minutes. She's making it sound better than it is. There's a few good parts on top. <laughs> Who knows anything about that guy? No one's ever lifted that rock. He could be Batman, for all we know. I guess I didn't ask because I didn't want to know. We saw this thing on TV. It was right in the middle of the news. It was cute. You want to be able to relax. Oh, interesting crowd in there. Same crowd out here. Welcome to Mad Men Men. I'm John Agroni, and we're going to be talking about The Marriage of Figaro, which is episode three of season one of Mad Men. And with me to help me do that, first we have Will Ashen. And hey, Will, uh, before I forget, can you get the cake at High Top? Oh, yeah. Uh, hang on one second. Also, please don't abandon your family. Uh, no promises. And also, we have Michael Overholse. And uh, Mike, why are you sliding me a cufflink? What, what kind of, what does this mean? What, You're my happening? knight in shining armor. Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Marriage of Figaro, which I was telling Will when we like we finished episode two and everything of Mad Men. And I told Will that this was like my episode of Mad Men, where it all kind of just came together for me as a show. And I think everybody has that episode. Everybody who like keeps on with the show, right? Everybody has that episode where they watch this show and they're like, I'm in. I'm invested. It's going to happen. But for me, it's Marriage of Figaro. I got the sense, though, in the pre-show, Mike, that you hate Marriage of Figaro, this episode. Is that true? Yeah, this is the Mad Max Fury Road of Mad Men Season 1 for me. Uh, oh, people love it, but it, it actually, it's just, I hate it. You know, mm-hmm. too much, mm-hmm. you know, too much for each their own, you know what I mean? And what, are, what you're really saying is that you hate me, and Wait. I represent the episode, too? Well, I just see you walking everywhere, John, and it's like, where are you going, huh? Where the hell are you going? Which, by Mike, the way... you? Sorry, I had a question about that, but go ahead, Will. No, I was going to ask, Mike, are you anti-Fury Road? Oh, big time. Big time. This is news to me. There's there's an old episode I'll send you, Will. Mikey and I watched the movie together at the uh, the AMC Mercado in Santa Clara, California. 2015, I would have to assume this was. No, 2012. Yeah. Wow. yeah, three years we got an early screening out. of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty. It That's was why I didn't like it. It was like ten minutes long. We had just shot a yeah, couple it was, scenes. Yeah. It was assembly cut. Yeah, it was a, a sizzle reel. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a, that is a legendary time. I don't know if that episode is still. I know it still exists. I don't know how hard it would be to find it. You would have to have a really good Google search. I was talking to my friends about this podcast, and I was telling them I used to be on a podcast with you, but I could not for the life of me remember the name of it so i googled that's like amazing. john john negroni mad max and it did come up but oh wow that's that's not a complicated google search at all <laughs> <laughs> okay there you go i think will's googling it right now because he got the he got the blue phone out saving it for I later curious what, what annoys me about that will is that you can you can dig up my past but when i try sure. to dig up the post pop podcast you suddenly get a little annoyed and bothered yeah <laughs> One of these days, Mike, we got to find it. Did you know about this? That Will had a podcast in his college days? Well, it no. wasn't just me, but... He he ran the show. You were the ringleader. No, I was, called the, the I was definitely in co-host mode for that. Well, yeah, what is the it? Mark Maron. Was it they say in this episode? No one's uh, begun to try to pick up the rock that is Will Ashton or look under the rock. <laughs> Nobody picks under that. Will Ashton could be Batman for all we know. Uh, that's, that's true. He could case. be. Yeah. Um, but no, really, Mike. So do you actually dislike this episode? Is, is that like for real? No, I just like giving you shit. Honestly, this is probably my favorite episode <laughs> I've seen so far of the series. 
<laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Three episodes in, we've already hit the the. Peak. I think it's the best episode of the season. Which I'm gonna I'm gonna try to hold that up to Scrooge though, because like I don't know, maybe maybe during this process we're gonna get to another episode. And I'm be like, actually maybe I'm wrong, but right now that's my stance. I'm sticking by it. I guess we should just dig in, right? First thing I want to say about this episode, which I really, I really, the first thing I appreciate about it is the structure because you don't see it coming, right? I know, Will, you had seen this episode before, but did you remember the structure of this episode? How it starts, like the first half of it is Don's work life. And then the second half of it is his home life in Mm -hmm. Austin. Did did you remember any of that? Well, there's a scene on the train where we meet uh, somebody from Don's past uh, and he calls him. Not Don's past. Sorry. Well, Don, the character that we know we have known so far is past. Don as we know him's past. This is the first mention uh, we get of Dick Whitman. Dick Whitman. I couldn't remember the name, but uh yeah, I mean I remember that subplot, but I didn't remember if it was this episode or if it was a, a future episode where they really dived into that. So I remember I was texting you when that scene came up, I was like, Oh, like I remember this episode because I remember that one pretty well. I didn't remember where it was in the season. So I was mm-hmm. I was thinking they had they were already doing that whole thing and I was surprised. But that was just kind of like a teaser for what's to come later in the season. So uh yeah, I mean I I thought it was that, but then once that was revealed to be off the table, I, I remembered what this episode was when we got the actual home element of it. Cause I remember that whole thing pretty well from when yeah. I first saw it, just from just for uh, for the reasons we'll discuss later, yeah. I was barely paying attention to anything you said because I had a good reason. Don't worry, because I'm okay. trying to figure out how to change your name on the thing to Will and Bishop, and I can't seem okay. to figure it out. So maybe maybe in the next episode I can fix Will that. Will and up. Bishop or Will Bishop? Will and Bishop. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty pretty obvious. Um, okay. For the and yeah, because you all are listening, uh, our names right now are John Draper, obviously, and Polly Doggy. It's my favorite. You kind of you kind of do look a little bit like a golden retriever, Michael, and in a good way. I've been told I'm a golden retriever boyfriend. Nice. I, I wish you were mine. Um, okay, so you already mentioned it. The episode begins with uh, and, and yeah, that's actually really a good thing to point out. We get Don's work life, we get his home life, and the first scene is kind of like who he really is, right? Because at first, if you're watching this fresh, and I don't even remember what I thought when I first watched it, to be honest with you. I was like, oh, you know, I must have been like Dick Whitman. Who's that? Is he just like humoring this guy? Because the guy's just like, oh, I live and breathe. And so he clearly knew Don or Dick when he was in the army during the Korean War. And I think the the watcher maybe kind of can question like, is that like, is that for real? Or is he just like playing along? And if so, why would he be playing along? Did, did either of you think about that? Or were you just instantly like Dick Whitman? Here yeah. We go. I remember the first time I watched it, I just thought, like, Dick, Don, it's the 50s. We give each other weird nicknames that don't make sense. Like <laughs> That is a weird nickname, yeah. Um, So I thought maybe that, that was it, and maybe his, like, middle name was Whitman, like, Dick, Whitman, mm-hmm. Draper, whatever it is. And he goes by Don Draper now. But obviously, on the second time through, more familiar with the situation. And what really struck me this time was I was expecting Don to, um, like play him off say oh, oh i don't know i don't know who you are so the fact that Get he is exactly the fact that he is like i do remember you i he takes the card that that's that stuck with me i'm excited to see how that plays yeah. out yeah 
I'm like, this is like my, I don't even know how many times I've seen this episode, but I think, I think though this time around, I was like, wait, why isn't he worried that people are going to overhear this? Because he rides the train all the time and future seasons will establish that he knows people on the train and like the commuting, like lifestyle is obviously one that he's pretty familiar with. Right. So it is, it is a bit of an odd duck of a, of a moment would take him within the context of the whole series. Uh, what was your reaction? Well, I assume you were just still, you were staring at that lemon ad for the Volkswagen. You couldn't, sure. you couldn't think of anything else. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a genuine moment for him because um, you see before he answers, that he looks over his shoulder to make sure that no one's really watching before he answers it. True, and yeah. you can tell that he's taken off guard in a way that we haven't seen from Don slash Dick at this point in the show. So it felt more genuine than anything that he's shown us before, even like when he has a fairly duplicitous life and he has moments where he's kind of taken off guard. This is the first time where it really feels like he doesn't quite know how to move forward or what's the best response. So he's kind of like winging it in a way that we're not used to mm-hmm. for Don. So it feels more vulnerable for Don Draper in the way that we're not really privy to at this point in the game. Worth pointing out too. That we get we get little bits of Dick Whitman throughout the entire episode, particularly with the Rachel stuff. But it's something that you again, yeah, you won't really pick up on that if you're just starting out with the series. Um, so yeah, I see Mike, you're not, and you agree because I, I think like there's a, a specific line of dialogue that Rachel has where I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna get to that in like season five or whatever it is. Um, yeah, and then uh, no, that's actually a good point, Will, that you brought up about how he like looks behind him too because. I think one of the themes of the episode is how Don isolates himself everywhere he is. You know, it's a good episode in establishing that like, he's not just like this lonely sort of like cool cucumber at work. He's also like that at home. And in this situation too, you know, maybe part of that whole thing where he's like on the train and nobody knows him right now, that actually does kind of hold up with later seasons. Because I think in this particular season, he's at his most isolated in the world, kind of closing mm-hmm. him off from people. And who knows? Well, maybe in future seasons, he'll be less like that. We'll find out, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, it's for Don. Uh, and certainly, I guess any man at that time, it's all about keeping up appearances. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole thing with the uh, the cuffling as a metaphor for like his because of this thing, it's starting to unravel. So he can't like really keep himself together, though. No one's really paying much mind to it. Like he's feeling more vulnerable or more insecure than we're used to seeing. So. I thought that was a neat little metaphor for his internal uh, dilemma at the moment. Agreed. Agreed. I I mentioned the Volkswagen ad gets referenced here. He's reading it. That's going to come up later, too. I love the look that Don has where he's just like, like right after the guy talks to him, he's just kind of looking around. He's just like, what just happened? And then you even see the ticket puncher kind of see the lemon ad and be like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh," you know, I I, I, I do want to disclose something before we get going. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like. Is it, listeners need to know? I think is is pertinent for the the course of this conversation for this episode. I am uh, a proud owner and driver of a Volkswagen automobile. Really, I didn't yes. know this. Yes, Where, didn't you used to drive a Prius, or am I totally making that up in my head? No, you're absolutely right. I used to drive a Toyota Prius because San Jose to Palo Alto is a long drive. Yeah, you got to go. Uh, yeah, yeah. But now you know now what? I'm making a little bit of money. Okay. I'm in my late twenties. Java you're a thinking Volkswagen small. CC Sport, baby. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've always wanted not to own a Volkswagen Beetle, but just to like have one for like a year. You know? Like just lease it for a year, drive it out, see how it feels. Like, is this my personality? And I'm just not, you know. I guess the only we'll thing, find out. 
The only thing I, I would enjoy about driving a Beetle, because my I don't drive a Beetle. Also, I'm pretty sure Beetles are they don't make them anymore. But I'd be proud. Which is fairly recent, right? They, yeah, they they had a whole resurgence like a decade ago. But I'd be proud to drive around and know that I'm getting little brothers everywhere to punch mm. their siblings. <laughs> uh, Michael Overholz, everybody. So okay, we uh, we have the most sexual harassment conversation ever uh, in the elevator. Sterling Cooper. That's fun. Uh, so everybody gets in the elevator. We uh, we got our. I, I don't remember if we've seen Hollis yet, the uh, elevator operator. We might have caught a glimpse of him. Someone might have mentioned him. But yeah, Pete Campbell is back from his honeymoon. Everybody's ribbing him. Everybody's like, they, they only got one thing on the brain, right? Um, and and I kind of love the the Pete Campbell sort of B story in this episode, even though nobody really has a B story here. It's mainly about Don. But we do get a little bit in the work slice about how Pete's back. He's kind of high and mighty about his marriage. So I do have a question for Will, because Michael and I obviously know what's going to happen in the rest of the series with Pete. Um, but yeah, Will, what's what's your Pete prediction for this uh, for this season? Um, I, I don't know how much you remember about what goes down with him. My prediction? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want I don't want to be super specific, but like, yeah, what, what did you make of like this in light of like, yeah, what, what path do you think Pete Campbell is on right now? Pete's trying to be a wife guy. Mm. He wants to love wife his guy wife. or white guy. No wife. Okay, because he's he's doing pretty well at the white guy part. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he uh, flies that category in flying colors, uh, rather ironically. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean he's he's being the ultimate white guy, wife guy right now. He's like, I love my wife. I want to go see my wife. I'm Do not right going to cheat. Her. <laughs> my wife how come how could anyone possibly cheat and it is kind of amazing too how he's like you know he literally cheated on her the day before his wedding and he has this like attitude about the whole thing well the um, ceremony changed him john oh he, you're new, right because he was new baptized yeah mm-hmm. yeah um but that is a prevailing theme of this episode is marriage it's literally called the marriage of figaro the concert opera that plays in the second half of the episode and this is the episode about marriage so big picture Mikey Overholz, what do you think of this movie or this uh, episode's interpretation of marriage? What's your takeaway? It's interesting because you're seeing different stages of it and your different choices you have in the different stages of it, right? From, Mm. um, you know, the newlywed with his head in the clouds who wants to be that guy. He goes to Don, right? And he he feels like Don's going to respect him more. Maybe they can go out and get dinner now with the wives. They're They're in a separate club. But then you get all these interactions later at the at the dinner party, right? Of these people mm-hmm. married, the one divorced woman, and all the interactions. All this, I think, it's the it's just trying to say like, there's no one way to have a marriage, and also being in one doesn't make you different than other people. Um, yeah, which is oh, also tough for the fifties. <laughs> I love that too because uh, it just dawned on me. I, I didn't think about this before, but we also get the three stages of the other woman. You know, the homewrecker, you know, for lack of a better term, because you have Peggy who wants to be the other woman. You have Rachel who does not want to be the other woman. And then you have Helen Bishop who kind of just wants to emaciate men who think that they could possibly try to seduce her. And then that, that, a little bit of fun play there as well. Um, but then you literally also do have the other cheating woman. Wait, other who? Right? Or do I? Maybe I always wait, interpret that wrong because I don't know. Who does Don film? At the end. At the Doesn't end? He... Oh, that couple? Yeah. Are they together? I always thought that that they was are. an affair. 
oh, no, 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 that's not an affair. So that we're going to get to that. But I think that is one of the most important moments in the entire episode. It's well, one man, of the reasons this episode well, hits head. me as hard as it does. Um, but no, you notice it like at, the more you watch the episode. And in this particular watch, I specifically looked out for that couple on like everything that happens with them during the dinner party. stuff. But yeah, we're totally going to get to that. Um, so Pete Campbell gets back. He goes to his office and, you know, Will, I just, I got to get your reaction, um, on the, the, the prank. Um, I, I don't want to say the prank, uh, who put the, sure. The person the, in, uh, <laughs> yeah. The slur. There's, yeah. A, there's an ethnic slur used it is an a couple slur. times yes. in this episode. Yeah. It's the 1960s. Um, sure. Yeah, I, I literally even thought about like, am I going to open this episode with a joke about that moment? I was like, probably not. I guess I guess that's probably not, not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they prank it. They they pay uh, a family um, mm-hmm. to basically like hang out in his office in like bundled clothes and everything. And uh, I don't have anything to say about this. It's just Pete Campbell getting roasted and a very racist way. I mean, anything else to say there? It's a. I would love to know all the work that went into making that joke happen. Mm. Like it was clearly a group effort, yes. but I mean, how did they hire the family who found the family? How did they convince them to be in his office? Also, the family is pretty good at, at selling the bit as far as like acting indignant when Pete is in his own office. They're getting paid pretty well. They'll sit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I would like to know, how that came about. I mean, that, that that's something I thought I feel like I was missing from okay. this episode, but not not crucial to the text, but something I would cur- be curious to to learn about for sure. Do you have a reaction, Mike? <laughs> I really don't have it. I mean, I do appreciate Don's like reaction to the whole thing. Like he just kind of makes light of it and he's just like, I'm surrounded by morons. Uh, it's kind of his attitude. At least somebody's doing work in there. <laughs> I, I imagine, Mike, this is how you feel whenever you you get on with Mad Men, men with me and Will. You're just like, these, these goofballs. When are they going to get serious? Definitely, brother. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don is clearly shaken up by that train interaction. He is in a bad mood. And it's like, he doesn't want... He, like, literally, uh, what's his name? Paul comes in and it's just like, hey, it's time to hang out. Time to talk. He's just like, uh, or no, he comes in. He's like, hey, do you have a moment? He's like, clearly you do. He like snaps at him for no reason. <laughs> but it's fine because Paul, we don't like Paul. Um, oh, sorry. Does, does anyone here like Paul Kinsey? Who's, is anyone a fan? Yes. We don't have a reason to not like him yet. No, he was a jerk which to Peggy. One's, uh, which one's Paul? He made a move on Peggy and then condescended oh. to her. Pam, Pam's art school friend. The, no, um, that's no, that's Rich Summer, uh, who, uh, Harry Crane. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. The yeah. guy that was sucking on the lollipop later in the episode. No, no, that's Harry Crane, played by Rich Summer. Okay, this is Paul okay. Kinsey. I forget who plays Paul Kinsey. Um, is he the? He's a tall, lanky dude. Guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the okay. one who's like, at least I still got my novel. You know, he talks like that. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he gives he Peggy does the suck. tour. Screw him. Yeah, let's not like him. Let's let's um, let's change this from a Mad Men rewatch podcast to just just a hater podcast. Anti Paul pod. Um, okay, that works for me. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I think this is also our first mention of C-Core Laxative. One of the most important, no, sorry, not one of the most, the most important client to Sterling Cooper, not Lucky Strike, forget Lucky Strike, Lucky Strike doesn't exist, uh, C-Core Laxative, which uh, I, I unbelievably gets mentioned so many times in this show. And every time it does, somebody always makes a bowels joke. 
and we never ever see the client, right? Unless I'm forgetting, uh, hold no. me to that. I don't think we do. And I also, I don't think we ever see a single like ad or like any, people just like bring it up. They're just like, oh, I'm too busy to work on this. We have that whole thing with Secor laxative in an hour. It's such a writer's device. It's hilarious. You know that that's yeah, every writer's favorite joke. Yeah. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, but anyway, first meeting of the day is about Secor laxative. And Don's in a bad mood, like I said. Uh, but they talk about this lemon ad instead of this whole discussion. So I got to ask you, Will, um, it's an, this is a very interesting scene. I think it's the best scene in the work slice of the episode, probably. I mean, unless unless you really like some of the Rachel stuff. But yeah, what was your takeaway from the lemon? Uh, were you playing the song right after because you, you couldn't resist? Which song? Yeah, Lemon by Nerd with Drake and never mind. Okay, I uh, maybe if I heard it. I'm not good with song titles. I know songs, but I don't know titles that well. Lemon. So. Wait a minute. Uh, that, Wait a minute. Oh, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. It's about um, the Volkswagen yeah. Beetle. Yeah, it was written in 1961. Yeah. Sure. Uh, it was solid scene. I didn't like Roger Sterling's bad attitude. <laughs> Wait, what's wrong with Roger? Roger's the best part. No, I, he <laughs> My just favorite had a... thing is when he leaves, he's just like, I don't want to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, it was a solid scene. I wish I had more of an opinion on it. Well, I do, were you Good aware of the lemon ad before you saw this? Uh, vaguely. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I've seen that like before, but I mean, I wasn't around at the time. Like it wasn't like something I saw in magazines and newspapers and all that jazz. I mean, it's, yeah, we learned about it in, uh, I mean, I learned about it in my advertising classes. That was my major and yeah, it's very important, very influential ad. And it's funny how Pete Campbell is the only person who seems to like see it. Although he does strike me, he kind of says, he's like, I think it's brilliant, but he does strike me as a kind of person who thinks that. But he doesn't know why he thinks it's brilliant because well, he doesn't really sure. stand by it, right? Oh yeah, no, that, that has that line that's really good where it's just like the only brilliant idea in marketing is ninety nine cents or something along those lines. Yeah, it's just like the, yeah, the most brilliant. Av- I forget the exact line, but yeah, it's like the, the most brilliant line in advertising will get you ninety nine cents, whatever it is. Yeah, um, it's a good line. Which, which follows in line with the ep- last episode when Paul literally says, "Like this is all about media buys. That's all that really mm-hmm. matters." Um, Sorry, but I want to turn it to you, Mike. And I, Mike, I know you're probably just like, I can't talk about the lemon ad until I talk about that super awkward exchange between Pete Campbell and Peggy right before he walks in the office and joins the fun. Um, what exchange? That I'm, no, remember when Pete no, goes no, to Peggy? No, 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 John, it never happened. Oh, I'm sorry. It, do, it never, totally it never happened. Out. It never happened. It, uh, um, it's, uh, it's. I really like this for Peggy, right? Because this whole last episode, you just see her just kind of being a little bit obsessed with Pete. Oh, she's got that look. Like uh-huh. she looks at him and she's just like, bro, I'm on the pill. But then, but then, you know, he shows up and you think she's gonna, you know, she played it cool. She, she was, oh, it never happened. Whatever it was. It's like, damn Peggy. Like you are playing the game girl. I, it makes me wonder, like, I, oh, I'm always wondering, like, what does she see in the guy? And more and more, I keep standing by this theory is I feel like she just, she's attracted to how much power she feels like she holds over this guy. Interesting. He's, he's basically putty in her hands, right? He's the desperate one. He's the one who comes to her door and she's the one who allows him to be in that sort of like, you know, like she doesn't pursue him. She just like allures him and she just feels empowered by just how pathetic of a human being he kind of is. 
she's not attracted to the like the guys who are just like you know trying to are all over yeah. her Maybe maybe I'm totally off base, but that's my interpretation. Um, well, it looks like you're reading something. I, I think it's your argument on how to take me down a peg, pun intended. <laughs> no, unfortunately not, no. Mm. Blast. Um, mm. Oh, yeah, before we move on, uh, do you have anything to say about the lemon ad, Mikey-O? No, I think you guys covered it. I think the only thing I'll say is that it's, it seems like Don does understand the power of it, right? we've mm-hmm. been same thing we've been doing we've been sitting here talking about the scene for 15 minutes so obviously it's doing something <laughs> yeah it's like some people are kind of like roger he's like stuck in his ways he doesn't see the mm-hmm. potential of the future don doesn't like the future but he knows it's inevitable pete's the one who's kind of like he knows it's coming he thinks it's inevitable and he thinks it's great yeah so really great generational like understand like one two three and then you have harry and sal who just kind of are there you know they're kind of the backgrounds uh, of this scene for sure, but okay. I guess I guess we can keep moving on. Um, I think after this scene, we get to uh, Pete confronting Don, and boy, 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 I think there's a term for what Pete's doing here. It has something to do with um, putting your lips on someone's posterior. I feel like that has a colloquial. I thought this was uh, an uncensored podcast. It's uncensored. Yeah, I, I can't remember the word. Will, you got to help me. Are you talking about me an ass kisser or a dick sucker? Whoa, hey, Will. A Dick hmm. Whitman sucker. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, Pete is just kind of like, Don, before I go, you know, he's trying to maybe learn something from Peggy. He's been on the Peggy eyes, right? Um, oh, yeah, and then Don drops his cufflink. And, yeah, uh, well, you kind forgot. Of hint about that, right? One of the best lines are back and forth in the whole episode, which is just like, I'm glad to be back working with you. Something Pete like says that along the lines and mm-hmm. Don just like must not have been a very good honeymoon. Oh then. yeah. Well, no, he's just like, I missed you. Oh yeah. That's Don's right. I missed you. Like, then you're, I wish we're all on Don's side. <laughs> it's like, right. bro, you were on your honeymoon. Who did, why did you miss? Why were you thinking about me during your honeymoon? Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Because Don is disillusioned about marriage. And he's in a bad mood, but this is really important. Don is the hero and the villain in this episode. He's a terrible person in this episode, but this moment is really important because when he notices that he's hurt Pete's feelings, what does he do? He's like, I'm sorry. How was your honey? How's married life? Like he actually does kind of like he knows when to turn on a little bit of like societal norms. Like, even though he doesn't care about them, he will do it if he absolutely needs to. And then Pete just eats it up. Say he's like a psychopath or something? No. No, no, it's just that the ad world is a small world. And if, you know, you're known for dressing people down, people are just not going to like you. I don't know who who said that before. It was wisdom about working at an ad agency. Mm, Yes, it was uh, Aristotle, who I think he worked (laughs) at Gray. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a block over, a few blocks up. Yeah, a dozen blocks down, um, actually. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, it is I, I, okay. So I did, I did have a conversation with this about somebody once who thought that Don was like a high functioning autistic, and I never really believed that. Although I'm, I guess I'm open minded to it. They were kind of like reading into how Don sort of mod, does like modeling. Um, not modeling like runway modeling, like, um, 
modeling and learning societal like cues and stuff. So th- there has been some discussion about this. Like, is that fair to say that you, and, like no one can diagnose a fictional character, right? Um, but it was something that I thought was interesting and uh, kind of shows up in the scene. I mean, I don't think he's socially inept in any particular. Well, yeah, way. you that obviously you th- being autistic doesn't mean you're socially inept. Obviously, well, no, I know. Sorry, I don't. I don't mean in that respect. But I mean, like, just that, like, it, I, I don't really get that personally. But I've only seen the first season, so I can't really speak to Don too well. But I don't get that right. vibe from his character personally. I think I think the argument does come in later seasons when we see sort of like maybe how he's pushed down some of his like uh, some certain qualities that people connect to autism. And then so, I, again, I don't fully I mean, buy it. Yeah. Um, it and is it open to it? In season six, he says his favorite Netflix show is atypical. Mm. Mike, that is so wrong. It was season seven. Ah, you're right. Sorry, atypical sorry. hadn't come out by season six. You did it again. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I actually bad. don't know if that's true. I, <laughs> I don't think Atypical came out until like, like 2018, 2017. Yeah, that's the like a more recent show. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely recent. recent the Accountant, yeah. that's what you were thinking of. Yeah. That reminds me of how, I, I forget who said it, but I remember someone theorized that the final scene of the final episode would be Dawn at like 80 or 90 watching the first episode of <laughs> Mad Men. And I was like, that doesn't really make sense. I'm not quite sure how it would work, but... I would be for that if it somehow like went full circle with him mm-hmm. in like 2008, watching a dramatization of his life and acting like he's a real person that this is based on. But then like, turning if, it off after five minutes. If right. we're talking about modern Don, can I just pose one question while we have time? Sure. Does Don Draper use ad blocker? <laughs> yeah, 100%. He, uh, he doesn't believe in advertising. He just sells it, right? I don't know. Um, I mean, he's spending a lot of time looking at this lemon ad. So he's clearly watching the competition. You know what? That's a good point, actually. You win the argument, Mike. You did it again. Too smart. Um, yeah, but no, the way the way that Don Draper um, kind of gets Pete to just get out of his office is something that's always stuck with me uh, because I did watch this sh- first season, especially before I started my career. And uh, yeah, no, getting people to leave you alone is an art. And Don Draper in the show perfects it. But no, literally that line where he's like, hey, maybe one of these days we can get together with the what? Maybe we can. And he just gives him that look. Oh, beauty. Like tosses the folder. Just like, yeah, maybe we can. Get out. It's perfect. All right. So we're still moving along this portion of the show. We get this uh, this portion of the work life part. Uh, we get Lady Chatterley Lover, uh, Will Ashen's favorite book. Don't give me that look, Will. You recommended the book to me years ago. Sure. I was going to ask you if either of you had read this book. I have not. I'm not too familiar with it myself. I have not. Obviously, it does exist in real life. Um, sure. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm asking you guys yeah, yeah. if you had read it or or have familiarity with I'm it. I'm Googling it right now. It has words I'm not allowed to read. <laughs> is it, it actually that saucy? What do you think that, that word is that she's talking about? Dick Whitman. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, this, this novel. Oh, wow. It came out in 1928. What it did first- it do? It was first published privately, which makes sense. Um, and then it was on, they released the uh, unexpurgated edition in 1960. And it was the subject of a watershed obscenity trial against the publisher Penguin Books, which won the case and quickly sold 3 million copies. And it was banned for obscenity in the United States, Canada, Australia, India, and Japan. So yeah, that, that's why she's just like kind of secretive with it. Apparently they weren't allowed to have it. Uh, out at all this is amazing well i mean peggy wasn't allowed to read it period 
Yeah, no, they, they really like talk down to Peggy in that whole thing, yeah. don't they? Like literally flow from progressive, you know. Well, I guess right. Joan is main, the main culprit. She's just like, Peggy, you're too innocent. Peggy's like, bitch, fuck off. Like I fucked she's that guy like, right over there a couple of weeks ago. She's like, I have had the sex before. Don't talk to me like that. <laughs> I have done the thing. I have and then some. had I, the I, peen and the, and the veen. I am a, a sex doer. <laughs> no, but she literally is just like, I know the word. <laughs> You know, like the, the pain smile still. So which word is it? It, it was it was very know. very little sister to me though. Like it wasn't it wasn't sure. like uh it, it it wasn't like it wasn't endearing. It felt like siblings be like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty fair. Once again, you're setting me straight, Mike. I love this dynamic. Okay, but that's a whole thing. We never we never come back to this. I mean, Peggy borrows the book, literally never spoken of again. Uh, it just kind of feels like a little you. throwaway thing. Okay, I wasn't sure if that came up in a later episode, if that was setting something up. No, I... But I guess not. I think the purpose of this scene is to establish that Peggy wants... Literally, she she wants Pete to have sex with her. Because, like, the minute... Like, literally, as soon as somebody's just like, oh, it's about married people doing it, and, like, the forbidden passion, she's just like, I want the book. You know? True. Because I think she's, like, genuinely turned on by it. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, it's just that, like... I mean, by this point, how long has Peggy been in the office for? It's only been a few weeks, so I think this is her okay. third week working. Yeah, but she still hasn't really earned the respect fully of her peers, it seems like, based on this interaction. like I, It's not like they dislike her or anything, but they still talk down to her and kind of belittle her and act like she's yeah, she's young. innocent. Yeah. And, she kind of dresses you know. like an American Girl doll, so I, I get it. Sure. But yeah. that's pretty mean, isn't it? But uh, yeah, the I mean, 50s this or is, 60s. Uh, you can say that, John. Okay. Sure. But, oh, I literally, I literally, um, I just saw the book too because I have the episode running. It, it says the unexpurgated at the very top. So there you go. Uh, when they, she passes the book to her. Also, this scene is important. I forgot to mention because, it, it, again, the whole episode's about marriage, and so this is sort of helping to establish, like, okay, here, here is what marriage means to these characters, and like, yeah, nice little, nice little. I, that's the thing that I do like about this episode. It's very cohesive. Every scene feels like it's sort of adding to that, say for maybe like one or two, three, four little moments that don't. So there's that. Okay, I guess we can... The next scene here, it's the boys. They're hanging out. And, I've been waiting uh, for this one. It's my favorite part of the episode, baby. This is your favorite part? Were there, oh, yeah. The, okay, so <clears throat> the boys are having a little bit of talk. They're kind of goofing, uh, making jokes. Rachel Mankin comes in. And uh, they're going to give her the research report. Uh, so as we, of course, established in the previous episodes, um, Rachel Mencken has given Sterling Cooper her business. Um, they're going to help sort of revitalize her store to be more like Chanel and all of that. And this is like not a pitch for them. Like they aren't pitching an advertising thing. They're just sort of like pitching some directions and stuff to help, you know, here's some of the groundwork that she can do as the business to make their advertising work. Um, so they go through the research and everything. Don, of course, is like takes one look at her and is just like, "We appreciate your business. Like you couldn't get more suggestive." Um, the thing I'm confused about here. So, Pete Campbell uh, escorts her in. Yeah, and he introduces like, "Okay, Harry Crane Media." That's just, that's. I think that's the first time we've like for sure established that Harry Crane is like the media side of the business. But then also Kenny is in this meeting. But Ken Cosgrove and Pete Campbell have the same job. They're both account executives. So I, I don't understand. Like, you can't have two account executives on an account. But, like, 
why this? Like, I don't really get it because is it so big of an account that you need Pete and Ken? Because like most of the series is about how they sort of compete with each well, other for different business, right? John, speaking as an account executive, okay. Peek for the listeners, peek behind the curtain of Michael's life. <laughs> uh, sometimes you do have two account executives, and uh, yeah, I, I guess you don't see it as often when they're the same level, though, right? That, that's what's kind of throwing I, me. I think in this case, it's I think so awkward for them that their client who's running this is a woman that they want more hands on deck because they think really? it's it's weird, um, and you just you're going to have these curveballs you're not expecting, and so let's have you know the more the merrier. It's an interesting read. I guess, I guess, you know, my only counter to that is like, well, Pete's been out away on his honeymoon. So it's just like, what does he offer in this meeting? So then there you, you know? go. Maybe he was covering for Pete while he's on his honeymoon too. Oh, you know what? That's a really good point. Mike, you're doing you, this episode. You are coming through. Will, you should take notes. Well, it's because I, you know, it's the best episode I've seen so far of the series. Even though I, I hated it. <laughs> Sorry, Will. Um, Will Ashen in this scene, we have uh, we have a lot of good stuff in here. We have okay. a part where, of course, everybody gets caught in the lie um, that they have not been to the Mankin store, right? And sure. uh, it's something that Pete says, like, a-, a wrong that I will correct this afternoon. Don uh, said that, right? Don said that. He said it. I think uh, he said Pete said that. Sorry, Don did. So then uh, Don also slides his cufflink over to Rachel. A lot of stuff happens in well, here. Well, he didn't do that deliberately, right? That I don't know. Nice. Did he? I thought it was an accident because I don't know. I mean, it's possible that I mean, but it feels like it was. It felt like accidental, but I don't know. I can't say for certain. You've seen this show more than I have. I think it was flirting. That's my stance because you you see the way that his hand kind of moves. It looks like he's trying to make the cufflink fall. Um, Mike, you stepped away for a second. We were just talking about. Is, was Don intentionally trying to get the cufflink over to Rachel to flirt with her? That's my stance. I heard you, and I was ready. That was he flirting, flirting with Pete Campbell too? Then I think so. <laughs> no, but I think in that instance it was accidental. Whoa. But I think with Rachel, he knew it would happen, right? So he's kind of mm-hmm. like, "Oh, my cufflink is a little loose. It's not really." But if I kind of maybe do that a little bit, you know, shaking the wrist, you don't buy it either. Say- it's a reach, brother. What? Mm-hmm. I think, I don't it's, think such it's a, a reach. move. He gives her a look. Uh, I don't think it's a reach, but I thought it was accidental. Because I feel like in the first scene where it falls off, it's meant to be accidental. So therefore, I feel like it should also be accidental in the scene to follow. It's like him kind of opening up. And I do think it's important to note how Don capitalizes on the moment. Sure. That's why I think it was deliberate. I think it was planned. He was trying to create a moment. John, just because you have to plan all of your wooing for some of us <laughs> others, it just kind of happens, baby. Yeah, you guys are just so, uh, yeah, you're so good at flirting. You're like Harry um, Crane. You're just, uh, <laughs> you know, you're not good at it. You, uh, How about that? How about that? Um, yeah, I, I respectfully disagree, but uh, I love the arguments. I love them. Um, oh, yeah, we, we kind of have uh, a guy from across the pond. I guess he's supposed to be British. He's the research guy. He, he He's not really a fixture of the show. Um, but yeah, like we mentioned earlier, he's just sort of like, He's really mansplaining um, to Rachel Minkin here of like, our research has found that designer collections are a thing. <laughs> and she's just like, I literally like, what do you know about my store? We literally have these things that you're talking about. Um, and then everyone's just, Pete's like, I've been on my honeymoon. Like, I love that he quickly goes to that, right? He's just like, I have an excuse. And everybody else is just like, 
kind of like twiddling their thumbs, looking down, super uncomfortable. Don owns, Don owns up to it, though. It's another instance where the audience, who has been conditioned to sort of be like, Don's kind of a skeezy guy, right? He's dishonest. He lies. No one can open that. No one can lift that rock. But he has these little moments of integrity, which help us, you know, like him enough to keep going with the show because he's a likable anti-hero, right? Is that fair? Anti-hero? Yes. I mean, he is a charismatic and he is mysterious. And I feel like that's the main driving intrigue with him so far. Okay. I don't know. Is that enough to say he's an anti-hero, though? That's where I'm wondering. I mean, he's not Walter White, but or like well, Walter White's more than an anti-hero, isn't he? He's like a full on. He's he qualifies as an anti-hero as far as the show is concerned. Or uh, ah. he is, I guess, morally gray. I feel like that's being generous to Walter White. I know we're not supposed to be talking about Breaking Bad, but I feel like he's a tragic hero turned villain. I, okay, okay. I, I'm gonna look but up. You're talking like you're talking Walter White at the end of the show or like, and at least in the second half of the show, like at the beginning of it, he's more of a uh-huh. anti-hero kind of morally gray character. Like That's most true. Of the other ones. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I looked up the definition because maybe the, I just need to establish this because I'm just sort of imagining my definition for it. So essential character in a story, movie or drama who lacks conventional heroic attributes. So I guess, yeah, that does fit like uh one Michael Morbius, perhaps. Michael Morbius. The, should, should, should we start talking about Mad Men and, and instead talk about the new I will film? I will leave. I hate Jared Leto <laughs> so fucking much. I will I will take the rest of the sure, podcast I mean, and talk about how much he sucks. Yeah, I mean I'm not gonna argue with that. But. He is the Mad Max <laughs> Fury Road of actors. Well that's a, a loaded and incorrect statement. But. I'm, I'm gonna say that uh, Michael Overholse is the Mad Max Fury Road of Mad Men rewatch podcasts. So I really you hope love you come me? around on yeah. Okay. I really hope you come around on Mad Max Fury Road. It's disappointing <laughs> that you don't like that film. I have to admit. I hate this Mad Max bit. Um. Okay. So then Don escorts Rachel out of the office. They have a uh, a fun little interlude. Uh, although Pete kind of just like Harry a word, and then we'll get to that. Um. Yeah. Don Don and Rachel they have like a thing. They have some chemistry, right? Um, he he makes a little crack. I, I mean, we didn't mention it. Like Don makes like little cracks here and there about the whole prank on uh, Pete, right? Uh, where like literally Roger came into his office earlier. Is like, oh, uh, you know, I want the you know what out of my office in an hour, and he's just like, well, who's go- when am I going to get my shirts? You know, it, it, there's a lot of like uh, quickness with him with his wit. He does the same thing with Rachel here, where he uh, he tells her it's a date when it comes to coming by. Um, the Mencken store that day and there's a chicken in the hallway. Um, okay. Do we like Rachel? The chicken? Mankin. A chicken. Yeah. Is that a rooster? I like the chicken. I, I think the chicken is a great addition to this episode. New junior I like executive. Don's quote where he's, yeah, he's a junior executive. I wanted the chicken <laughs> to come back or I wanted Don to ha- come back to the house and be like, honey, we're having chicken. Well, no, it's very, this episode is very pro chicken because in this next scene we I get, know. Yeah, we get him saying no, yeah. no, anything but chicken. So right, it's uh, basically a Chick Fil A ad, uh, really. Sure. Um, well, if it was uh, wrong way, pro chicken yeah. would be 
McDonald's. John, right? you've been wrong. So I was thinking many of the, times. I've been thinking of the cow holding up the ad, and that's all that's yeah, running through my eat head. Eat more chicken, yeah, whatever. The think outside. The which pond. I gotta say, from a marketing standpoint, kind of brilliant. Uh, not to be a Pete Campbell about it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. Put the blue suit away, Will Ashton. Um, sure. Pete is having a conversation with Harry about. Uh, the little flirtation that Don just had with Rachel, which he obviously picked up on. Harry says he did too. I don't believe Harry at all. Uh, like Harry's just like, yeah, I, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, sure you did, Harry. Um, but he he refers to um, Rachel as Molly Goldberg. Um, did either of you know about the Goldbergs, like the original show that he's referencing here? No. I had to look it up. The only Goldbergs I know are on ABC once a week. Well, I think that is like a spiritual like sure. remake reboot whatever of the original Goldberg is my understanding CG Jeff Garland apparently um I look it's kind of funny because I looked it up and Gertrude Berg plays the original Molly Goldberg and it, it is kind of a weird like dash of like anti-semitism from Pete uh, Campbell I think from, well yeah I mean I, I'm not too familiar with the new Goldbergs but I'm pretty sure it's based on the creator's life because his name is actually Goldberg but well I just I feel like you're yelling yeah. at me and I'm just telling you that now you're the raising your voice. Um, I'm getting <laughs> uncomfortable. Sure. Um, P and Harry have this weird conversation about infidelity. Um, Harry is kind of like, oh, you know, like uh, somebody having somebody on the side. And then P's just like, I, I never thought John would be that kind of person. Um, but there's even this moment where uh, Harry is just like, oh, yeah, I don't need to cheat on my wife uh, because I'm fine. You know, just like not doing that and pete's like yeah same here uh what was your read on that mike overholz did you believe these guys are you a big fan i thought okay so also i I should mention you know remember when i was like oh this is my favorite scene in the episode i lied i thought this is a scene we're about to talk about this is my favorite scene in the episode Uh, (laughs) okay why i think two two things first off if you've only been married for two years and you're like it's been great but i do need these little side flirtations at work to keep me going let me tell you, buddy. Uh oh. <laughs> You're two years in, man. You got a lifetime to go. That's not a well. Not it's a like a self righteousness, right? It's just this sort of like moral superiority these guys are lording mm-hmm. over other people. It's 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 an interesting thing to consider. Uh, Will, I mean, you're more fresh on the series. So, what was your takeaway? Um, I think these guys are not very faithful men. Wait, so do you think Harry is cheating on his wife right now? And is like lying about I it? don't know if he's cheating on her, but it doesn't sound like he's being the most faithful if he was right. trying to uh, potentially sleep with Peggy in the episode no, prior. No, that wasn't Harry. Will, Will you're still right. confusing oh, okay. these characters. That was that bastard I'm sorry, I'll, Paul. I'll get to know him more as the show progresses, but sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. It, it literally under, like so understandable. They do not look that dissimilar. Um, okay. Harry's the one with the glasses. Um, Paul doesn't oh, wear okay. glasses and Paul talks about oh, the twilight okay. zone. Harry and also we, wears a bow tie. Uh, He's like a little Tucker Carlson and we hate, and we hate Paul. We hate Harry too. Harry is whoa, whoa, whoa. probably the most despicable character in Mad Men. I want to say, but we've already branded this as an anti Paul podcast. <sighs> Can it not be anti Paul and anti Harry? I wish you would have talked to me this off the, <laughs> off the air. Oh my God. I feel on the spot right now um also harry's trying to quit smoking um which you know little i i like how matthew weiner 
I think he wrote this episode. He kind of adds in his little touches. He did of, not. He did not. Uh, well, this he is the first episode he is not credited as a writer on. Well, once again, uh, I, I don't Stop get yelling. the raising of the voice. Like, I, it's just kind of like, okay, we're all friends here. No reason to yell. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I'm looking up because I actually don't remember who wrote this. Uh, oh, it was directed by Ed Bianchi, who, wait, that's a very familiar name. That's also the first one that Alan Taylor did not direct. That's right. Um, I want to say, who is Rachel Minkin played by? Who am I? Th- I'm thinking of Maggie Siff. I am thinking of somebody here related to the director, but uh, it's lost on me. So I guess I'll have to come back to Tom Palmer uh, wrote the episode I'm seeing here. So not a name I'm as familiar with. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it says here he was a co-executive producer on the first season of Mad Men and wrote two episodes of the season. That's all he's really noted for. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, okay. There you go, guys. Well, let me ask you a question, John. Eh. Your wife, newly, new, your new wife gives you a call at work. Mm-hmm. What do you want for dinner? What are you, t- what are you, what are you telling mm-hmm. her? Not a ribeye in the pan with butter. What? That is no, no, no. Oh, I think okay, I literally will have a ribeye. ribeye after, I'm going to do that after this podcast. Okay. Ribeye in the pan is a joke. Maybe, maybe you put it in the cast iron and then put it in the oven. And I know some people, a lot of people disagree with me. They're like, "Oh, you don't have to ever put a ribeye on the stove." I say, if you're going to do ribeye, do it on the grill. I get it. not everybody has a grill. Not everybody, you know, people live in apartments. I get it. So sometimes you have to make do. If you're going to do on the cast iron, I just never believed in the idea that you do the whole thing on the grill. You're going to oversear it while trying to cook it medium rare. You disagree, Mike? I can make a ribeye in a cast iron in my apartment, medium rare, not overseared. Make it for me right now? Wait, are you going to put a lot of spices on it? Are you going to do like rosemary thyme and all that other white people stuff? Uh, I'm not going to put it on. I'm going to put it in the butter, and then I'm going to base That's what the I'm saying. base the steak. Yes, I'm going to do am. that. Oh, sorry, am I going to put flavor on my steak? Yeah, I am. Oh, that what flavor? What do you mean like, flavor? It's like fresh herbs. Those are not fresh herbs. They're probably freeze dried. First, of all, are you getting them from an actual garden? Getting them from no. PCC Organic Community Store. My take is that first of all, you don't need rosemary or thyme with ribeye. Butter, pepper, and maybe if you want to get a little fancy, you get some like maybe some steak seasonings if you if you're feeling a little fun. But all you need is that maybe garlic salt, maybe. I have literally never seen a human be so wrong so many times in a podcast before. <laughs> I can't. We need to have a ribeye off. I'll lose for sure. I'm not good at making ribeye. I just know what I like. Uh, happy I to do like- it. Will's the vegetarian in this episode because he's again he's reading something probably a ribeye recipes because we're making him hungry. I have nothing to contribute to this conversation, <laughs> so I was watching Maria Bakalova uh, finding out she was nominated for an Oscar during the shooting of the bubble. What in the world, Will Ashton? <laughs> I had nothing to contribute to this conversation, so I wanted you to have let you nothing, guys do. Do you not like ribeye? That, I don't know. I haven't had in a long time. Wait, have you ever cooked uh, ribeye for yourself or any kind of steak? For myself, no. Okay, I've had steak before. Sure, sure. Do you, so you don't cook you don't cook ribeye. I well, think we've I never actually, talked about what what you like prepare in your apartment in Pennsylvania. Sure. I think I actually chose steak for your wedding, though I might have picked chicken. I don't remember exactly. I think I, Michael I, did too. I, 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 I very much. 
I very much deliberated over whether to pick chicken or steak because they both sounded very good. But I think I went with steak because I, I felt it'd be more filling. You're a smart person, but Josh. It, it because, comes, yeah. The steak comes with a side of mashed potatoes, too, which I was very interested in. Did you pick the sides for this, Sean, or was that? No. Uh, well, okay. We picked from a menu and like you couldn't pick the sides and the protein. Like it, it was literally like this dish, this dish, this dish. So, yeah. Um, I was surprised you didn't have a vegetarian or a vegan option. We did, but we actually yeah. thought we were limited. So we didn't put it as an option because we were worried too many people would request it. So we waited for people to be like, hey, you know, is there a way for me to do it? And we would give the vegetarian option to those people. We actually had somebody okay. who wanted halal and we couldn't provide that. So they got the, it's also a vegan option technically. So. Oh, okay. That's good to know. But Will, if you ask me to, to if you want to change to the vegan option, it's too late. Sorry. No, I don't. I, I would prefer <laughs> the, the steak or the chicken, really. If you gave me chicken, if I pick steak and you gave me a chicken, I would not complain. I'm sure they're both delicious. The New York strip, by the way, uh, very good. Not as good as ribeye, but we, we couldn't do a ribeye, unfortunately. I wish we could have, but yeah. Can I bring you a ribeye to your wedding and would you yes. eat it there? At the wedding? probably not yeah like i'll be like during the ceremony i'll be in the back like i'll still be there watching but just i'll have like a little grill set up this is gonna be great because uh not only um will are you you and i gonna like meet in person for the first time ever you're gonna meet That's michael true. too you're gonna sit at his table yeah talk, oh really talk i did not know that oh yeah i, I know i didn't know you picked the the seating arrangements already well i already knew i was gonna put you two together because will yeah. you know nobody else except will for my parents. at this table i know your parents yeah Let's get into details about this wedding right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Where is else? A, a fun but not subtle cue to move on. <laughs> um, okay, so then, yeah, they have this whole conversation, um, Harry and Pete. Um, I don't have anything else Ooh, to add. Harry. Let's go to Mankins. All right, we're at the department store. Don kind of walks in. He's kind of taking a look around. It's a bit crowded because there's a sale. You're dancing, Mike? Let's okay? go to the mall <laughs> today. Um, I really like Rachel. Like, I kind of want a whole like. I even when I, I remember when I first watched this, I was like, I feel like she could carry a show. She's such a fascinating character, you know. Like, young single Jewish department store owner in Manhattan in the 1960s, you know, carrying on the legacy of her father, you know strikes up a you know a flirtation with a married man it's gold stuff you know sure. um am i alone on this will I you're shaking your cool. head i'm not shaking my head i'm saying that's cool yeah i think so i think so i, I want to get to know more of these characters like the one on the second sure. floor with the teddy bears i want to say that uh the production design for this mall is uh pretty outstanding how so just i think it looks fantastic the design of the period, the period design, I mean to say, yeah, uh, I think is really outstanding. And I think it was a lot of hard work and a lot of attention to detail that was uh, very successful and worth pointing out. Agree completely. Uh, uh, Mike, you're shaking your head. Though. Yeah, I'm sorry. They were just out of Macy's. <laughs> How is this a Macy's? It doesn't look like a Macy's. Bro, it was. An, I'm sorry to tell you, that was an old Macy's. <laughs> i actually don't know where they filmed this i assume it was just a set i bet you um, find out it's an old macy's you also see i mean i know the roof was definitely like a like a set sure that, that looked like a backdrop uh -huh. but um everything in the mall itself proper 
looked great. I like the little like uh, three bears setup that like almost had like a weird shining vibe to it. <laughs> We've been gone as like cool. the products look old. Yeah. I also want to say um, for the record though that Rachel main game could get it. Like Maggie Sif, we know. Yeah. Just Mike is uh horny on main, I guess now. He's down bad for Rachel main game. <laughs> She's waiting for you. She's she wants you as a knight, Michael Overholz. Like she would give you some uh some knight cufflinks. Um she looks she literally like what even like talking about the cufflinks is like kind of seductive, right? She's like seahorses lucky dice and don's just like can you get on with it like knights it's like okay not subtle but well yeah i like that the knight it means that he's further guarded hiding himself once he's more. so Good guarded metaphor. she's telling yeah. him everything about herself she's just like here's my entire backstory she hands him her character sheet from dungeons and dragons don is just like my name's don like what is up with that i also thought it's interesting though because knights are supposed to be honorable and Don right. is is anything but. She perceives him as that. He's a uh, because he was honest like, with her. Boyfriend of the year. Like, he's like, my name is Don, and I like the party. <laughs> my name is Don. I have a purple heart and blue balls. <laughs> um, yeah, very very creepy second floor. Uh, we're known for our service. I never understood because like Rachel says that because uh, the worker is literally just like sleeping. Why doesn't she wake her up? Because I don't think she really Cares? wants to pay any mind or, you know, because they were having a kind of casual conversation. Yeah, she's more concerned her. with flirting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I it wasn't it. like it wasn't like Don was a customer per se. And they were joking about it. You know, like they were just like being chill and mm-hmm. it gave them more privacy than they would have had otherwise. So, yeah. you know, she has a dark side. I, I really like. I was going to say, I really like that as just before the scene is about to end, she wakes up and stands up and acts like nothing happened. I thought that was a, a yeah, good wipes her touch. mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good <laughs> touch. I like that performance from that lady. So I was yeah. going to say that Rachel yeah. had a dark side and she didn't wake her up because she just was like, as soon as Dallin is out of here, I'm firing this woman <laughs> so fast. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to believe that from now on. Um, I'm surprised. I admire her dedication to not sleep on the beds that were, you know, very comfy and made in the background. And she's like, no, I'm just going to sleep on this chair. She probably was. That means that point. she is dedicated to the job. <laughs> she's so dedicated that's to the why, job that she felt. And that's asleep. why I don't think she should uh, be fired. All right. All right. I won't fire. Um, we cut back to Sterling Cooper and Pete, again, super high and mighty. Uh, we see Joan and Paul are kind of talking to each other a little bit suggestively. Um, as usual. And then we, we see Allison who I forgot to mention, we see Allison for the, I think the first time in the show, uh, we might've seen her uh, actually, no, never mind. I think we saw her in the last episode or maybe the first, uh, she is the one who worked at like the front desk and will, I won't give it away, but she, not a, not an important character, but she's somebody who comes back up throughout the show. She's um, the one that said, Hey Pete. Hey Pete. Mm-mm-mm. Um, which you can read in that first part that she's just kind of like going along with the prank, right? This is my question for you, Michael Overholz, because she kind of goes over to P and she's like, the grand lot of us are going over to Lansky's. She want, is she want to pull a Peggy? Like, <laughs> she kind of want to go after that? What's that about? I think that uh, that woman's agent worked into her contract that she needs at least eight words of dialogue 
uh, per every three episodes, and they were just trying to meet that quota. I don't know, because she like kind of looks at him when he rejects the whole like we're hanging out, and she kind of like looks, she checks him out a little bit. She's like, you know, no, kind of like swerving her I mean, eyes. Down. I, sorry, you can go, Will. And then I she raises her eyebrows too. That nearly every woman in this episode is horny. Is is what or something or is horny? True, okay. you know, like they're getting turned on by that book, getting turned on by Pete of all people, <laughs> getting turned on at that the, with the parents at the party, getting turned on the dawn that that divorcee. Okay, that we'll talk about later. Here's what I'll say though. Here's what I'll say, and Will, I'm not trying to make you feel like John, and you know, tell you <laughs> you're wrong. I don't. Know what, sure. Um, the women aren't horny in this. No, they are. But I I feel like this this the point of this scene isn't Allison. It is. Sure. It's newlywed Pete seeing yeah. what he's given up, seeing that maybe he could have gone out, but no, he is going home by himself to his wife. And uh, I, that look that she gives him, I I didn't interpret as horny, more as like a, a surprise, like oh yeah, you're different, you're changed. And it's supposed to be all about Pete, <laughs> and we're giving a little bit too much too much thought to Allison. I mean, the women are sweet, but that ribeye is sweeter. So uh, the actress who plays Allison is Alexa Alamani. Since Mike said we haven't been, uh, Mike, you literally said we aren't talking enough about Allison. So I'll I'll, I'll rectify that for you. Uh, a wrong, I will personally correct right now. Um, she has been in Lucifer. Uh, she was a writer for the Librarians, and she also played a character in Masters of Sex. And uh, yeah, good actress. Um, there you go. Also, I was wrong. This is her first appearance in the show um i love yeah. hearing you say that oh that uh i was always correct in some way just not fully correct i, just I made mean, a little tiny error what, what's it what's it called when you're not all the way right wrong oh yeah uh somewhat false partially what's true it, what's it called when you just kind of kiss rachel Mankin on the roof oh yeah cheating <laughs> made out <laughs> um yeah yeah i guess we could go to that part um yeah, because Pete's kind of like, you look nice, Peggy, and then walks off, whatever. Uh, so Dawn is up there with Rachel. Rachel, she's good at flirting, guys. Like, she is like, how is she single? Because she's got game. I mean, like, doesn't she choose to be single? I guess. I mean, she likes... Is it, is it that men are, like, a, threatened by her easily? Well, she's an independent woman that don't need no man, right? You're an independent woman that don't need no man, though. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just kind of confused because like, I guess, I, I don't know. I, in the context of this episode, actually, Helen Bishop, who we're going to get to, uh, is kind of another Rachel in the sense that like she is independent and she's just like, she's not interested in being the other woman. Um, but like they're in a society, they're in a cultural context where that is the norm. And like, here comes Don Draper, who seems to be somebody that she can connect with. That's why Don Draper kind of connects with Helen Bishop instantly without much dialogue at all, right? Um, but Mike, you were about to say that I was right, that Rachel Mencken is really good at flirting? Yeah, she's she's really great at flirting. I mean, she's so good at flirting, it was working on me through the television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she literally takes him to the dogs. Uh, German Shepherds, which I think is a nice touch, uh, considering they're, they're Jewish, and they're, of course, awesome. Um, the, sorry, Rach, the Minkins are Jewish. The dogs are German shepherds. You get it. 
right? There's even like sort of like a reference, right, to like how they kind of made Mankins kind of happen about through the Great Depression, uh, which I think is good context. Um, speaking of which, too, have uh, Mike, have you seen Apollo Ten and a Half yet on Netflix? I watched the trailer for it this morning and chose, highly recommend. Yeah, highly, what? highly, highly recommend. It's Does it have good. to do with Jewish German shepherds in space? Yeah, it's what it's about. Yeah. Blink uh, <laughs> later, he did it again. <laughs> He's just unpredictable, you know? Um, uh, w- Will, you were going to say something in about Apollo Center? Uh, I, just, I mean, I was just saying that uh, I was watching the film before we recorded. I still need to see the last 20 minutes, but digging what I'm seeing so far. Mm. Good stuff. I just wanted to throw I that in there. Uh, you'll understand listen why. Yeah. To our conversation about it on Cinemaholics. What's the that? podcast where we talk about movies, not TV. Oh, Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast. There you go. Um, yeah. Don decides to kiss Rachel after she says something very specific, right? She kind of mentions how, you know, she has her sister and everything, and she's just sort of like, she didn't have a mother figure. And then Don is just like, don't try to tell me you were never unloved. This is so important Will Ashen, table this. We're gonna we're gonna come back to this at some point. Okay, this is this is such an indicative moment of Dick Whitman. I mean Don Draper. I mean Dick Whitman. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, but of course, he tells her that he's married, and the electricity vanishes, and she's like, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna keep the account, but uh, I don't want you on it." What do you think, Mike? Did she make the right decision? Oh, man. You know, this is why the show is so good, right? Because part of you is rooting for, like, another affair, right? You're like, at a certain point, you're numb to it. You're like, Don, you're already cheating on your wife. We like Rachel. Let's do it. Like, Rachel, just do it, babe. Just do it. But then, yeah, you know. Yeah, see what happens. Have fun, girl. But then, you know, the, the part of you is also like, uh, no, this is inappropriate. Yeah, she but, deserves uh, better. She deserves a man who can actually be attentive. Yeah. But I'm all for it. It's the chemistry. Yeah. Right? It's like you see them kiss and you're just like, when's the wedding? Um, Will, you're, you're, you're reading again. I, I assume you were reading Maggie Siff's entire IMDb because you can't wait to watch all of her performances after this show. I guess. Yeah, she hasn't really done too much of note. We talked about this show. a little bit on the show, didn't we? I mean, I'm it's surprising that she didn't break out more after the show. Uh-huh. She she Unless, didn't get to play Lady Sif. That would have been perfect. True. They gave that to But uh, I mean yeah. I apologize she was in some critically acclaimed show that ran for three seasons that I didn't watch, but mm-hmm. um I feel like she didn't get like a major role that got a lot of notice in the same way a Mad Men. Well did she was in Scandal. I know that. I'm trying to look up other stuff. Oh, okay. I didn't watch Scandal. Oh, she that was in Push. Not the novel Sapphire, but uh right. she was in the film Push with Chris Evans in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. A movie everyone remembers and cherishes. Right. There was even a comic series. Did you read it? No. I did. That's a, that's sad. She actually went to Bryn Mawr College, which Betty goes to in the show. I just read that. Cool. That's kind of weird. Oh, and she was in Billions. Oh, okay. Billions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maggie Siff. We love her. Oh, yeah. But Billions. So, oh, God. Uh, Billions is a show that's been running for like five or six seasons now, right? Okay. I believe it. I feel like it hasn't captured a lot of cultural cachet, but enough so to where it 
retains uh, a primary slot on the was it Showtime slate, mm-hmm. and it seems like it's smart enough to where I'd probably like it, but not acclaimed enough to where I'm like I gotta watch it. Is, but it has Paul Giamatti. I was just gonna so say, is that the one okay. Paul Giamatti? Okay. And the homeman dude, that, Damian Lewis. That I always think. just struck me as bad Succession. Like Succession meets well, suits. Succession. Well, I haven't seen Succession or Billions. What succession am I doing? Is a good show. I I will recommend Succession, a show I've seen one half seasons of. Maybe we'll have to do Succession after Mad Men. Men. It's a good. Sh- it's a good it, it show. Can, it would kind of lead it. into it a little bit, honestly. Okay. I mean, by the time we finish this entire thing, right? Yeah, we'll probably be at that <laughs> Succession point. will be also be done. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, anything else on Rachel? Because I think we're going to cut to the second half of this episode, and we we got to get going. We got to get this done. Hour and yeah. ten minutes into the recording. Let's get to the second half of the episode. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, we tend to do this. We tend to go a bit long in the tooth. Um, so I don't want to go scene by scene here. Um, we can do broad strokes. How about that? That's fine. No rules. So basically, we are now in the family life portion of the episode. We spent all this time on Don's work life. Now we get to see him in father mode. Betty shows up. Sally wakes him up. It's beautiful. It's idyllic. He has to like build this playhouse. He gets super drunk. Um, sure. Love uh, it. An environment that Don loves and thrives in, as we all know. He's so uh, freaking miserable. Like... <laughs> Right? Like, it, it's he, so undeniable. I love how subtle it is at the same time. I mean, I think he loves his kids. Yeah. I think in his own way, he sort of loves his wife. And I mm. think he likes his home. Mm. But you don't think he loves his kids? I think I he loves... I don't think he loves his wife. I don't, I don't think he loves his home. I think he loves the idea of it all. Yeah, yeah. I think he likes... The protection that it has. He likes that his life is like an ad. But yeah. it's like nothing underneath. Because he brings sure. nothing to it. He's attentive. Uh, sort of. Right? He's a, a breadwinner, for sure. He's a, he's a breadwinner. And like when Betty calls upon him, he's sort of... He's there. He, he comes through. He, he builds the playhouse, right? I mean... But he also literally, gets super drunk. Literally building a home in this episode. A playhouse. Nice. But a home well nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And he's getting ding dang drunk while he's doing it. And uh, who among us? Uh, you know, um, he gets objectified beautifully. Sure, Love I will it. say though, like he he does a pretty good job building that house inebriated. I was expecting like a Homer Simpson kind of thing where he like fumbles at building the house or like passes out and well, like so it's part the whole of Don's, house. Don has a brilliant mind. Sure, right. Like the way that he's able pretty well. Yeah. Cause like the instructions you see, like they don't make sense to him. He kind of just wings it, but that's his life is winging it. Right. And like building things, only sort of seeing the pieces and putting them together and just sort of pretending like you've got it all figured out. That's Don Draper. That's a, that's a really great catch and best point you've made all episode. Wow. Thanks Mike. You're nice. When we're in this part of the the episode and I'm kind of watching and I'm just sort of like, Don doesn't want to be here. And I, I do agree that he loves his kids and sort of like, it's almost like an obligatory way. Like he cares about Sally, but like I just sort of get this existential dread from him. And I don't know if that's accurate. Like, it's just sort of like 
he because he even says sort of some somebody i think it's uh carlton comes up to him and it's just like we've got it all and he's like this is all there is and that's something that i think uh later in the show there's even like a song oh. that comes up i think it, it opens the seventh season where it's like is that all there is it's a persistent theme where don is disillusioned by the american dream uh what, what do you think well i think you're about to say something well i was just gonna say i feel like to, to what I was trying to say before, it's not that he doesn't like it or doesn't love it. I just feel like he just doesn't feel comfortable here. It's just not his like modus operandi. It's not where he thrives, it's not where he feels like he can maneuver and really like find an in and out in the way that he can in the work environment. He just there's too much leisure time. There's too much where he has to kind of fulfill a sort of like, you know, uh, patriotical you know, sturdy, like man about the house. Do you mean patriotical, like patriot or patriarchal? Sorry, patriarchal. I I misspoke. I Um, mean, you can literally say both and I think they're kind of valid. Sure. I, whichever it's, it's a, um, choose your own adventure for my vocabulary, whichever one you want to pick is, as, uh, accurate. But, um, yeah, I mean, he just doesn't, it's not, I feel like it's just that he doesn't feel very comfortable. It's not like he doesn't like it. I don't think he, I think he likes his family well enough. Mm-hmm. Or at least, as you said, I think he likes the idea of having a family and a stable home life, but he just doesn't like interacting with other people that kind of fit into that suburban home life. It, it is a walking hellfire for him. It's also interesting. Have you guys been to like your friends' children's birthday parties? Like, or have you been to you know as an adult now? Oh yeah, yeah. I have no kids. Just just like little kids though, not none that are like Sally's age. Well, I just think it's interesting. I remember being really struck by this and then like reevaluating my whole life and like my parents at parties. Like I remember being like 24, starting to go to these things. And then there's always the obligatory split where like the dudes go off one place and the, the girls go off one place. Not just, it's, it is naturally what happens. And I remember just like the first couple of times doing that, sitting there having some beards and being like, oh, wow, you all kind of hate your kids. Not like hate your kids, but like. <laughs> I feel like you're a little exhausted by this and this is like all a big thing for you right now. And this is what you want to do is sit, sit with the guys. And I get, I just get this vibe from, from the guys at the party and, and Don there, right? Just kick back a couple beers, let the women take care of the kids. It's a lot of work for you. Yeah, Cause we see the, the guys have so much power still, you know, like we're still in that generation where they can do whatever they want, you know, get away with whatever uh, within reason. And I think like, you know, at one point somebody's just like, we're going to leave. You know, he doesn't ask his wife. He doesn't consult her. He doesn't have a conversation with her about it. He's just like, we're leaving. There's not going to be any cake. You know, there is still this sort of like power structure in play. It's obvious. It's one that I don't think has gone away fully. um, Where the wives are kind of like relegated to their own part of the house. Right. And I think like it it is. I think the show is kind of fascinating in how it tackles that dynamic because like the husbands don't want to be there. But it's not really their wives that are dragging them there. It's their wives doing it through patriarchal power of like social norms. It's like the wives have circumvented the system because they know that they they aren't able, not able, but like they aren't, um, it, it, uh, they're not able to call the shots in a conventional way. They sort of use guilt trips. They use, it's, it's very like wives am I right? Right? 100%. Absolutely. It's, it's. The women still have the power, but they don't actually hold the power. It's like they're manipulating the societal values. Which is uh, sad because then you see Helen Bishop, who is like 
you know, clearly like her own person, uh, act like self-actualized and everything. And they don't know what to make of her. It is so embarrassing. Like they're just sort of like, what is with this woman? They try to, you know, they try to belittle, belittle her. They try to mock her, but you just can't help but feel like they're so jealous of her, right? They're just so, cause they are stuck with these men. Betty, especially. Betty, especially, I think, especially um, the one couple, uh, Chet, and I, I think Marilyn was her name, and she is just, like, so annoyed with her husband. She's just like, this guy is annoying. His dad jokes aren't even up to snuff. Like, you got to have good dad jokes. I know that's one thing I'm, I'm excited for when Will, of course, has kids. Um, you know, Will's going to be a master of dad jokes because I've been sending him dad jokes periodically on Instagram <laughs> every day for the last 17 years. And I think, Will, you're an expert now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be pretty tragic uh, if I don't have kids. But um, it's okay. nevertheless, I appreciate the effort. It's okay. You'll adopt. You'll foster. Okay. They'll, they'll be know. like Shazam kids. It'll be great. Sure. Um, nothing against <laughs> adoption. That's uh, obviously a great nothing against it at uh, all. way of becoming. Yeah. yeah. We're all fans. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. Uh. I kind of want to just, I, I don't know how I want to tackle this because there's so many things here and I feel we got to kind of pick and choose. Michael, what is, what is sticking well, out to you there? Or my, Will Ashton, what, what, go ahead, please. I, I mean, Mike, stand just down. to kind of, uh, I just want to say real quick, uh, not that I condone doing this at all. Uh, rather, I would say do not drink and drive ever. Oh, I thought you were going to say don't use Christmas wrapping paper for birthday parties. Well, uh, teach their own in that regard. But I, mean, I, I would I say never. It. I respect Helen Bishop so goddamn much. Walking in there and being like, yeah, my kid's shirt is wrinkled. And mm -hmm. here is some Santa paper. Also, oh, so. I'd fuck your husband if I felt like it. Oh, I thought you were going to say I just barged into your house because your door oh, is yeah, open. Yeah, and blame my kid. Throw my kid under the freaking bus. <laughs> like, yeah. well, yeah, hey, look, it was Glenn's idea. All right, calm down. Sure. But uh, I was going to say, uh, obviously, drunk driving, big no-no. Don't do it. Don't condone it. Not a fan of it. However, I will say, uh, Don Draper, quite a drunk driver. Because when he, you know, he's throwing back scotches left Practice and right. Practice makes perfect, Will Ashen. I think I wanted to, because I ended up watching this episode twice. Uh, and um, I was planning to count how many scotches he throws back. And I unfortunately didn't count. But I, I don't have think to he assume, counted either. So you're good. I, I have <laughs> to assume at least like four or five scotches have been thrown back. And he back started by the time with he beer. Gets, he must have gotten sick. Also, no power uh, steering in those yeah. cars. So yeah. even tougher to yeah. drive. You even see him so, roll that stop sign into a right, and yeah. like you know, and I'm and I'm thinking like, oh dear, like <laughs> you know, twice in one month, the the Draper's going to have uh, car issues, right? Yeah, but no, he just like he's brazen. He just drives through, and I mean, I have to say, I don't think this is the first time he's driven drunk. Will Ashton, that is quite an accusation uh, to me. Uh, okay, Michael Overholz, um, Mikey the O. Uh, like Mike, uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, Michael Max. How, mu how, many, how, how much more do you have? Uh, Polly Doggy. Uh, and then I'll leave it there. Mike, 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 Mike turn. Mike, Mike, Mike turn. Mike Wazowski. Go ahead. Um, 
I really like that these women's greatest fear is Helen fucking their husbands. And well, that's why they're and that's that, why they're confused by her walking around, right? Because they think mm-hmm. that she's trying to like allure them and be like a mermaid of like, look at me, I'm walking. But then of course what happens? The husband approaches Helen, right? Yeah, he's the Bronson one who does. He, he, Francine's husband, yeah. Yeah, comes on to her. And uh yeah, it, it's just like it, what what a moment for Helen just to be like, Oh my gosh, and then yeah, then we do this and then we kiss and just made just really fucking made him feel stupid and it was such a satisfying moment i bet you that she's read uh lady chatterley's lover and she knows exactly how this is going to play out so she's pretty good about it there you go she isn't she she ain't you know man she uh is into that self-pleasure i think so sure. and uh this is the moment that don catches on video right or on film if I'm not mistaken, right? Which I I, I don't know why I definitely felt like it was like a you caught an affair. I don't I don't know how well, he how saw Helen way. and Carlton, and then he moves on okay. to the other two. Real quick though, maybe that's what I was thinking of. Okay, who plays? I'm gonna look this up. Who plays Helen Bishop? Maybe that's what I was thinking of. She's from. Helen why she's from? Is this she from like nine. CSI Miami or like she's NCIS? She's from some cop show. Darby Stanchfield. I know her from somewhere. Wait, was she from Scandal? And I mix her up with Maggie Siff. Oh, is that what it is? I know she's definitely in something. Yes. Okay. So I misspoke earlier. I said she, okay, everyone relax. Will Ashton, put your knives away. Okay. She was in Scandal um, around like 2011 or was. And let's see here. She was also in private practice. She's done a bunch of Shondaland stuff. Wow. I messed this up. Abby Whelan, yes. Okay. You done goof, John. I, know. I apologize, even though I know it's live. Can, can the listener stop, restart the episode, and just make a tally yeah. of how many times John has been wrong this episode? They'll, they'll have to replay out of, like, shock. Because it's like, wait, John wrong? We're in, like, the 30s. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Uh, an anomaly, we'll have to say, I guess. Um, yeah, no. Okay. So Darby Stanchfield, apologies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maggie Siff, a legend in her own right. She was uh, sons of anarchy, which I think I already mentioned and law and order. She's also billions, an NCIS. We already mentioned. So I was right. NCIS. Really? I, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, but okay. So we'll, we'll move on from there. We'll move on from there. Um, okay. What were we talking about? Oh yeah. The affair. So no, there's a couple and they have a no, moment. No, that's a different show, John. Oh, sorry, Will, go ahead. What did you say? <laughs> I said, no, no, that's a different show, John. What's a different show? Joke. The Affair? The Affair. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I've watched two that episodes was, of that, that show. I hated it. But I, I think it's really it. good. She, she was also in CSI Miami. I was right twice. <laughs> um, no, there's this couple that, like, we don't see them a lot in this episode. Um they only got like one line of dialogue earlier. It's like when they're all hanging out and Betty comes out and is like, Oh, Hey, you know, Waldorf salad for the adults. And, uh, they kind of walk in. I'm kind of like rewatching cause I want to make sure I get this right. So, okay. Okay. Um, give me a second. They're going to get to it. Um, Okay, they're handing out the mint juleps, which, by the way, Betty was pretty like forceful with that wrist pour. I'm gonna say with the uh, I don't know if that was brandy or whiskey or what. Um, okay, they didn't get the clown. Okay, uh, they saw a thing about clowns taking their clown their clothes off. That one guy with the weird teeth. 
few jokes about throwing grenades. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go after his teeth, but I will say that that character sucks. Yeah, well, his teeth suck too. I'm just going to... Oh, here well, we go. That's, okay. that's a real thing that the actor has, I think, so I don't want to criticize him for that. You're right, You're right. I need to calm down. Um, okay, so he's... Uh, he... Oh, no. This is the guy who asks Don... Okay, I love these characters. They try to get to know Don. They try to meet Don where he's at. It's a little bit cringe, but they try to be like, oh, hey, Don, we saw this like commercial and it's like, did you do that one? And yeah, it's a little, it's innocent. You know, it's just sort of like they know this one thing about Don and they want to connect with him. And they're so cute. I mean, the the ad they describe sounds like it sucks. Of course. And so, I mean, it it was a indirect insult to the man to act like he would come up with something so asinine for an ad. But nevertheless, I think it didn't come with malice. I think they were trying to genuinely engage yes. with the man. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And Don catches them later. Um, and he sees, because they, throughout this whole sequence, the other couples have been isolated. They've been separated. You know, Carlton's been like hitting on another woman. And the the rest, the wives have been sort of like really just just unloading on Helen Bishop, trying to, you know, all this like strife. We have this whole thing where they're outside and like the kids are like echoing, but their parents must say at home. It's pretty, pretty bad. But then you see this married couple who are just out there. Don catches them, have a tender, unguarded, unfiltered kiss, and it kills him. Like you see it, he puts the camera down and he's just like mind blown. He's just like, why don't I have that? That's real. I mean, I, I took it more as like, that was like the final straw for him and that like he sees his home life and these people as being straight laced. Like they kind of just assumes that they have their shit in order like he's kind of being the, um, um, you know, promiscuous one by kind of assuming false identities in, in both sense. Uh, yeah. Uh, as far as like what he is doing in his work and home life. But when he sees a moment like that, an unguarded moment like that, where they are, you know, not being faithful to each other's couple or their partners. And he's like, well, if they're not even going to keep up the facade and like do, you know, a decent thing and be good parents and honor it. Like what good am I, a, you know, a, a scallywag like myself, like Don Draper or Dick, whatever. Uh, why, why am I even trying to do that? Yeah. So uh. he's out, you know, drinking, smoking. The divorcee is kind of casually hitting on him. He's not really, you know, hitting back on her, but Betty sees it. I don't think she's like, hitting no, no, no. on him. I think that they are platonically just sort of like connecting over a shared sense of like, this is all bullshit. I think they're casually flirting, but not like in like a way. I don't even think they're flirting. I just think they're just sort of there. They're just sort of like, we're the people who get this. I think Don is so checked out that even if she was trying to flirt, he's just not, you know, he's not there right now. I thought it was two isolated people finding, was it Requiem and other? Requiem kinship. Yep. Another point. I, see, for here's the problem. Right. Will, here's the problem, Will. You have so much charm and charisma that women can't help but flirt with you. 
And so I imagine that you've never been in this scenario where like women okay. are trying to be platonic because they can't help themselves. And you're just like, oh, that's not, that's impossible. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> Betty ain't having it. Betty be is not. Oh, my God. Because like they look out the window and they're just like, shut that down. And it's so smart on their part because it is one of those things that like would start off innocent. But, you know, you know, that road, you know where that's going. Yeah. So she's just like, Don, yeah, it's like her fourth time asking him, go get the cake from high top. Don pieces out. He is like so bored and he's so annoyed and he's so sick of this entire thing that he he doesn't come back uh, until he commits a crime. What? By driving drunk. That's well, I think in those days, uh, yeah, it was it, it wasn't a crime to drink and drive. Um, but it was a crime to be legally intoxicated. Sure. I learned that from Sorry, Apollo I'm, ten and a half. Yes. Sorry, that's what I meant. It was that he was well beyond the point of being casually drunk to being full out yes. inebriated. Yes. And he got behind the wheel and drove. So He's that's, a bad person. That was that's a big no 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 matter what time you live in. Yeah, yeah. We agree on that. Um Michael Overholes. Hi. Don Draper leaves the party. Yep. I feel like you would have left the party too. I feel like you would have, you would have split even earlier. Um, yeah, you know, if the if the you know the beer well had run dry, I'd be out of there. Um, well, I was gonna say you saw that Christmas wrapping, you're like, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> enough is enough. <laughs> I don't even have a kid. Why am I here? No, I yeah, I'd be I'd be out of there for sure. But he comes back with a dog. Oh, oh, by the way, we we skipped the part where the kid gets slapped. Yeah, I mean, that's a great part. More yeah. kids should get slapped. It's, I'm pro slapping it's the kids. Biggest like, slap, it's the biggest slap huh. that's ever happened since Oscars 2022. Did sure. someone get slapped at the Oscars? Uh, I think so. I don't actually know that for sure. I wasn't well, did, okay. did Will Smith stop them? You know what? Let's say yes. Okay. Well, he's, who's, uh, he's a good guy. Who's Will Smith? He's like America's um, sweetheart. You know, he would never let like violence happen. He's a man. Um, they cut a Sara Lee cake as well. Uh, good cakes, Sara Lee. Um, I'm just like fast forwarding through all of this. Oh, yeah. My favorite shot of the entire uh, episode is when Don Draper is in his car and he's watching the train go by and you see it like reflected back into the windshield. I imagine this is exactly like the smoke coming out of his nose and it's very noir. I always imagine every time I do an episode of Cinemaholics with Will Ashen, that's what he looks like, like to his computer <laughs> screen. You know, uh, I'm just like, sure. what was that? Well, also just the big red stopping light too. Yeah, is, uh, you know, great imagery there. And then, uh, oh yeah, uh, there's a Cheerios ad, and I, I texted this to you, Will Ashen, about how there's literally a moment in this Cheerios ad where somebody's like, "We need more Cheerios," and someone's like, "I'll never smile again." <laughs> And it's like, you didn't seem to care about that or you didn't seem to appreciate that beautiful dialogue. Sure. Oh, I forgot. We forgot to mention the, this is way back. The lady that wanted to jump in the shower with Don Draper. Oh yes. Well, no, we did mention that he was being objectified. Sure. But just women in this episode. Oh, it's Francine. She's pregnant. What are you going to do? She wants raw hamburger and John Hamm is right there. But the, uh, casual subtext of this episode is women be horny. They want to get with Don. And also, uh, Betty's just kind of like, you know, Betty's into it. She's just kind of like, yeah, because because Francine's like, you want company. And Betty's just like, all three of us could maybe. Uh, uh, no. Uh, OK, bye. 
She's probably. Michael, we haven't spoken. To- Sorry, yeah, I just. I just uh, had nothing yeah. to contribute to this conversation, so I was watching a video of Will Ashton watching a video of someone finding okay. out they won a Grammy at, uh, the, in, at during the filming of the bubble. That sounds a very like that sounds like a great video. Actually, sure. I didn't even know this video exists. Can you send that to me, Mike? No, it's private. Daddy got me a dog. Can you send that video? The video of you watching the video yeah. uh, of that video to me as well. Sure, it's an NFT, but so you'll have to pay me. Okay. All right, fair enough. What a king move. Don bails. Okay. With the with the cake in the front seat, he couldn't be bothered to drop the cake off and just leave from there, right? Makes his wife worry, thinks he was in an accident. Not really think that, but she knew what was going on. But comes back with a dog. Echoing back, of course, to Rachel Mencken being like, a dog is all a girl really needs. What did you make of this? Is this Don essentially saying like, okay, Sally, all you need is a dog. And that means I don't have to be a real father to you. Am I overreading that? I think it's him. I think you're on the right read, but also it's like, this will make up for my ineptitude as a father. Like I'm here. Yeah. yeah. I'll do what I can, but also this is someone you can rely on. Don and Sally's entire relationship throughout the series is probably it's in my top five aspects of the show, like character dynamics. It it really holds up and it really is fascinating stuff. Um, and this is definitely one of those first like serious, like inklings of like what you're in for with that whole thing. It's obviously a very early stage of like, okay, Sally going through everything in her life with her therapist. I think it's safe to say, you know, um, Sally being a baby boomer and they need therapy. I think you mean Betty. I'm talking about Sally. Oh, Sally. Uh, okay, I'm talking about sorry. the father daughter relationship. Oh, okay. Betty too. About the Betty therapist episode from the past episode. I oh, no, no, no. I wasn't being literal, but obviously of course, everything going on with Betty. I mean, she's just like, I don't even know what to say. And that's true. I love that. Just Don just also just does not give a shit. Like, Betty tries to give him a hard time. Like, I don't even know what to say to you. And just nothing. He's just like, Roll what are you going to do? Yeah. 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 What are you going to do, Betty? Eh. I do what but I also, want. he just like dumped the dog in her life, knowing full well that he'll never have to take care of that dog. Yep. Yeah. Never really have to worry about it. Just another addition to their life. Another thing to make it idyllic without him having to worry about the maintenance or care of it, which is very Don Draper, as it's we've very, seen in these three episodes. It's very indicative of the times, right? And, uh, oh, gosh. Uh, it's like the second episode was all about, like, okay, Betty is sad. Betty is depressed. Betty is clearly dealing with anxiety. And then this episode is all about why. <laughs> because, it, and it's all about, it's about all of these partners and their wives and, like, why they're so dysfunctional. And it's because they're sold on this lie of like what marriage is and what being with a person is supposed to be like. And they're with these people who at first glance in the early days of their relationship, it's probably exciting. It's probably thrilling. It's like you're with somebody who takes charge, you know? And then when you're actually married to that person and you have to share your life with them and you get everything from them, all the dimensions, all the stink this is the result. You get all the bad stuff too. And I think what's beautiful about this episode is that it it paints a kind of cynical portrait of marriage where there's only one 
functional marriage happening in this episode with that one couple. And that's why it drives Don wild because it's the one example of it working that he's probably ever seen. Because I, I mean, I don't want to skip ahead, but uh, as we learn about his little backstory is Dick Whitman. It's not like he's used to, you know, actual love and what that looks like and parents and a couple who are clearly like actually into each other. Marriage of Figaro. Don't, don't ever tell me that Don was unloved. We'll have to, we'll have to get back to that. Huh? When we start to, when we start to see a little bit more of Don's backstory, huh? Cause it's, that's the hobo code. That's the episode I'm waiting for. That's hobo code. Oh my God. That's my marriage of Figaro episode. I still quote that thing. That guy says, you know, I was like, I sleep like a stone, you know, like the whole thing. Uh-huh. Um, are you okay? Will? you seem confused. Like you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> Insightful. Enjoying this conversation between John and Mike. We'll be back for the next episode of Mad Men Men, which is, New Amsterdam, episode four of the first season. Uh, but we went way over long. We really need to figure this out, guys. Uh, it's like you need a better host or something. Who knows how to well, consolidate? It'd go faster if we didn't have to correct you all the time. That you know what? We would have saved at least two minutes. So you're I think, totally right. Uh, if I may make if I may make a editorial note, I think we should have spent less time talking about the episode yeah. and more time talking about your upcoming wedding. That's true. Uh, we would have been in such a good mood. We would have talked even faster. Mm-hmm. We would have gotten through it so true. much faster. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, this episode is called Marriage of Figaro. Yeah, it I all think it's connects. It's only appropriate that we... Yes. I, think it, I think we should be talking about your marriage. You're talking about my marriage? Else. Your marriage and how instead oh of going gosh. on the honeymoon, we're all going to binge Billions. Binge Dune? That's, yeah. Billions. By Dune Evil Nove? Oh, billions! Billions, yeah. This upcoming, this uh, hit show. I heard what I wanted in, to hear. Ah, okay. I have a Showtime subscription, so you just let me know when and where. All right, I would watch an episode of it to be sure. Sure, I watch anything Paul Giamatti's in. You're speaking my language, Mike. All right, well, thank you for listening. This was the third episode of Mad Men Men. We'll be back, and uh, bye. Leave it on a southern train only yesterday.